Hello and welcome to the Carpenter Podcast. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined here bright and early this morning by Matt Kendrick. Matt, how are you? You okay? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all right. We'll get we'll get onto the FA Cup during the course of the thing, but I'm just glad glad that we're we're still in the hat, so to speak. So uh, yeah, it's given me. Despite it being an early start for us, give me a, a little spring in, spring in my step, I think. I think. Mm, yeah, let's get the FA Cup out of the way early doors. Obviously, we've done the post-match reaction on Saturday evening. Uh, me and Frankie Maguire spoke through the game, but we didn't speak about the game in too much specific terms, just because the first half in particular was so boring, really. Um, but the main kind of objective is get yourself in the hat, get through that that first round for the first time in eight years. Um, so I'm not too fussed that the performance wasn't the best thing in the world. It is just all about the result, isn't it, in, in those early rounds? Or in all the rounds, to be fair. Yeah, I think I think the key thing for me was that that Emery decided to go strong, really, because I just think it eliminates mm. any of the excuses. Then you know yeah. we went strong and we're still given given a massive test, so it doesn't guarantee doesn't guarantee that you get through. But you know, with so few games this month, I think it was important that, that he, he he showed showed that he it may not be the priority, but it showed that it is a priority. And I think the Stevenage result from from last time and Villa's appalling record in the third round generally over the, the last few years. I think we needed <laughs> we needed to at least advance that next step. And obviously when the next when the draw comes out and we see we're playing the fourth round or I'll be saying that we need to advance this next step and the next one and the next <laughs> one. Uh but yeah it was one of those ones where it wasn't, you know, Forget the forget the performance, kind of feel the results. I suppose it was that kind of thing, really, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, absolutely. This podcast is being filmed and will come out before the fourth round draw, which I think takes place before Man United play tonight, which is slightly strange. It's usually after Man United play Wigan in the third round this evening. I've got to put, get, get you to do a prediction for who we might draw in the fourth round. Do you want to just throw a name at me and just see if you were right? Oh, I don't know. I'm just trying to think. I haven't really paid much attention to who's gone through. <laughs> I don't really know who's in it. <laughs> let's let's say West Bromwich Albion. For old times' sake, I mean, we're obviously not going to be able to play blues. So let's say, let's say West Brom. <laughs> okay. Just while we're on the FA Cup, we've done obviously a lot of, I say a lot of, a couple of episodes about the FA Cup over the last week in the build-up to Middlesbrough, and all of those conversations branch into a wider point of like the priority level of the FA Cup this year. Uh, and I've asked this to John, I've asked it to Frankie. And one of the questions we had was from a Matt, funnily enough, uh, who says, please ask Matt the Champions League or FA Cup question. Matt knows what it means to win a cup and the memories that it gives you. Now, obviously, Frankie was alive the last time Villa won a trophy, uh, was a, a young boy in the 90s. So the question has been, if you can have a magical pill like the Matrix, the red bill, the red pill or the blue pill or the claret pill or the blue pill. You can win the FA Cup this year and finish sixth in the Premier League, so Europa League for next season, or you can maybe get knocked out in the fourth round or the quarterfinal or whatever, but you qualify for the Champions League by finishing in the top four. Which pill are you taking? You know what I'm going to say, and I'm going to get battered by, by the, <laughs> the, the young the young people in the comments again, aren't I? Because Champions League is everything for, for, for football fans now, nowadays. These kids of today. Pesky kids. I'd, I'd choose the FA Cup. And uh, I'd choose it anyway, because I'm desperate to see us winning it. Win it. I had a little conversation with your dad the other day. Um, <laughs> Dan, who I think is similarly saying it's the one he hasn't seen us win. So um, at least I've got your dad in my corner, if nobody else. You're not alone on this. I, I did a, a Twitter poll yesterday. Or I did a tweet saying, which pill would you take from a, a clip from the last show? And the majority of people did say the Champions League, but you know, it's not one or two that say the FA Cup. It's probably a... I don't know, a 60-40 split, a 70-30 split? Yeah, so I think, obviously, the FA Cup, you win the FA Cup, you've actually won the FA Cup. So history books can't take that away from you. You're in there. Um, also, 
Champions League, we feel we've got a manager now who can build a dynasty. We don't feel mm. that this will be our only opportunity to finish Champions League. Listen, don't get me wrong, it's a massive opportunity. The, the, the position we've put ourselves in with the way that we've started the season, we're not going to get... Well, we haven't had a better opportunity than this for a long, long time. You know, we, even under O'Neill, when we were flirting a, around the kind of top six, top four, it wasn't as we didn't have this head start on the people around mm. us. Um, yeah. So I think I think for that reason, yes. So I think having the trophy, having it tucked away in our back pocket, is is the thing that swings it for me. Also, the first time you get in the Champions League, we, we've seen it with Newcastle. You know, it can be, a, it could be quite a quite a short lived thing. And obviously, getting there sends out a statement, and getting there is financially lucrative. But I don't know, just that. That little kind of jug-eared pot, that jug-eared shiny pot. It just, uh, I'm just desperate for us to get hold of it. So, um, yeah, uh, it's clear in my mind. Yeah, FA Cup this year and then Champions League for the next 10 years after that, including winning it several <laughs> times along the way. So that sounds like a reasonable compromise. I mean, the reasonable compromise and the optimist answer is why not both, right? Like if the draw is kind to you in the FA that Cup. A, and... That wasn't my choice, was it? You can't. <laughs> okay, both. No, no, but but I like it. I could have both pills. I keep doing this with my hands for people that aren't listening, like, as if I've got both in my hands. I might have to like, Photoshop a little uh, red or blue pill in my hands. I'll have both. Why not? Um, oh, I can't have both. I'll overdose on euphoria. There was loads of questions sent in again. We said last Monday that this was like a, it felt like a record amount of questions sent, and this Monday again feels the same to the point that there's so many that we can't get through. But there was some sent in last week that I said we would save till this week. So we're kind of always going to be behind a little bit now. But it's funny you mentioned O'Neill because Martin asked last week, are there any comparisons or lessons to or from the year that Martin O'Neill was looking good to finish in the top four until that collapse in March? He thinks it was the 2009-2010 season. I'm pretty sure that is correct. You know, we were looking likely to, to finish in the top four. Um, and it all kind of blew up in our faces in the, the second half of the season. Can you take any lessons from that or any comparisons or is it two totally different beasts? Yeah, I think I think you can you can make some comparisons with the O'Neill era. Obviously it's a different coach and a different coaching style and it's a different squad. But if I remember rightly, I think we were competing on several fronts that season as well. I think it was the year that we went to the, the, the League Cup final and lost to um lost to United. I think we lost to, to Chelsea in the FA Cup final. Um, yeah. final FA Cup semi-final at, at, at Wembley as well and we, we were looking strong for most of the season I think my biggest reservation this season in, that history could repeat itself is the size of the squad and the squad depth again um, I think back then O'Neill had his kind of key 13-14 players that even though, though Lerner had put his hand in his pocket to try and give him some more cover around the had players didn't we like kind of Rio Coker, who tended to be on the fringes, Carlos Cuellar. But O'Neill didn't didn't feel inclined to to utilise the the squad. And although I don't think Emery has that kind of reluctance, because I think I think he feels if you're good enough to be in my Aston Villa squad, you're good enough to play. So I, I don't think I don't think it'll be a selection issue. I just I just do worry. You know, we've said it before, haven't we? What happens if we lose Watkins? Watkins to an injury. You'd probably say it across lots of members of the team, but, you know, Douglas mm. Louise, if we lost him for any period of time, Pau Torres has become such an important player to us now. So that would be my concern, that Villa would run out of steam because they haven't got the the depth that their, their rivals are they're competing with for, for, you know, trophies and for um, 
for a top four place. That they, they, we do, we don't have that that kind of luxury at the moment. Which I suppose, in a sense, would go back to the previous question about Champions League and and, and other priorities because. Champions League, if we are in there next season, it's going to be even harder for us to to balance those priorities with a squad. But equally, you could say, well, does that give you more chance of attracting players and making sure that you've got a stronger core? Um, but yes, yeah, so there are there are some hallmarks with the O'Neill era, but this is this is the Unai, Unai Emery era, and it's like nothing that we've really experienced before. So I think we just need to let let the gaffer himself manage the process and see where it takes us. Mm, yeah, spot on. Um, let's go to something more light-hearted now. This one was sent in last week as well from Julie. Uh, it's slightly out of date because this was sent in before the World Darts Championship final. So obviously that's a bit and gone now. So not quite as relevant, but I said I'd include it anyway. It says, I've been loving the darts over Christmas, some really exciting games. If you could do commentary or another sports podcast, which sport would you choose? That's, that's kind of thrown me a little bit. The two <laughs> sports that I'd pick... One, I'd probably pick table tennis because we have little kind of Kendrick table tennis kind of tournaments okay. in the garden in the in the in the summer months, and mm. this is bad parenting, but I, I'm always in my son's head. You know, I can I can always just kind of war of attrition. I can go batter him, batter him into uh, submission. So I'd quite like to do that because my my inner monologue is commentating to myself anyway. But uh, my son would probably storm out and and, and leave if, if that if I if I vocalise that. Um, and the other one. I'm not a massive fan of the sport and I'm not a massive gambler, but I'd quite like horse racing commentary just to kind of see okay. if I can get the get the pace of it. I think it's I think it's brilliant right, to yeah, listen yeah. to. I think it's quite exciting. It just reminds me about um, you know, when you have those adverts on the radio and they have to speed up the terms and conditions at the end just to try and get it in because they've only paid for a 30 yeah. second ad slot. I think they have to probably speed me up to the water be too too ponderous, I think, for the what about you? I like Formula One. I watch Formula One. I have done for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. I don't think it's the most interesting at times in terms of Max Verstappen wins every single week. What do you talk about? But because there's um, like the narrative of the, the, the 10 different teams, 20 different drivers, there's always a little story somewhere. So I like the kind of the glamour of the, the sport and the different locations they go to and stuff like that. So I, I went Formula One for my pick, um, but horse racing and table tennis were not two that I expected to come up. So thank you for that. Well, you, men- you mentioned darts. Dart- darts, I mean, I, I've often been confused for Michael Van Gerwen. So, uh, you know, you never, I could have, a, could have a call in there. Handsome fellow that he is. <laughs> right, let's move on. Uh, from Aiden, back to football. He says, can you can your heart take all of these last-minute point grabs as long as they are points to keep us in contention or would you prefer us to drop down the table a few positions but have less stress while watching a game? Which I thought was like, what the hell? How could you like take not winning games or picking up points just to have the the, the, the uh, an easier ride watching it? There's only one answer, really. Isn't there? We, don't want to, we don't want to fall down the table and... As stressful as it is, it's part of the part of the excitement, isn't it? You know, it's like going to the cinema and thinking, "Well, I'm really, really desperate for a wee. This is really killing me." But I do need to find out, you know, who who the serial killer was. Uh, so, you know, what, 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 why, why, why would you forgo the stress or the the, the discomfort if the if the reward hmm. is there? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Okay. So I, I I love a last minute. I love a last minute winner. Anyway, I think it's a. Me too. It's, it's a, a lovely, a lovely sense of release. Uh, well, the last-minute winner, the VAR check. Normally, no, that wasn't the case <laughs> of the day. The, the VAR check, and and then the sense of relief. Um, so yeah, what was who was the last question? Aiden, was it? 
just just chill out, Aiden. You know, it's, 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 this is good. You think you think this is a stressful time supporting Villa. This is this is as as, as yeah. easy and as stress free as it gets. I think. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll take the last minute winner every day. Yeah, me too. It's funny you mentioned VAR actually in the process of like not being able to celebrate properly. We had a couple of questions about VAR, uh, so we'll do them at the same time. From AVC Faithful, who, like I said last week, sends in a question every week, but I don't know his name. Uh, his name is Aston, of course, like a Villa fan called Aston, of course. Uh, and Janoslav both basically said the same thing. Uh, seeing the VAR-less cup games over the weekend, with the game being allowed to flow more, what are your thoughts on VAR? Do you prefer the game without uh, although we probably would have had a penalty with it. And Janislav said, would you get rid of VAR? I hate it, but also feel we're the club that benefits the most due to offside being controlled by VAR. Uh, guaranteed that the ref or assistant ref wouldn't have spotted many of our successful offside traps uh, and our game relies on VAR helping us out. The two kind of different points there, VAR kind of sucking the fun out of goal celebrations and stuff is absolutely um, something that nobody likes. But also on the flip side of it, our high line, you know, you do like that safety net of, okay, well, this does look tight. VAR can check it and, and maybe help us get away with one that the, the naked eye wouldn't see. Uh, I, I don't know how you answer that question succinctly, but what are your overall thoughts on, on VAR? You shouldn't really got me started on, on, on VAR in the FA Cup, really, because I just think it's, I think it's so unfair that it's been, it is being used in some ties and it's mm-hmm. not being used in others. And I don't really understand why that is because is it a, if it was a, is it a stadium thing that that clubs outside the Premier League just aren't don't have the infrastructure or, or the technical capability to do that? And so. if it if it is that kind of why not really? Or mm. I think I think you need for the in terms of VAR and FA Cup. I think it needs to be consistent. If you play a competition, the rules need to be the same from minute one of the the first first qualifying round to the due to the the last minute of the final. So I don't think that's fair. It's like saying well. Okay, we're gonna for the for, for the early rounds we're gonna take two feet off the, the the height of the goalpost and do it like that. Just think rule rules should be rules should be consistent all the way through. I think in terms of it killing killing the emotion of the game, it absolutely is. I think it's I think it's an absolute farce, and I think we've had the, we've had this discussion before, Dan, about the the stadium experience versus the the experience of the the TV viewer and Football is it's two separate sports now. In a way, it is, it is a TV event, mm-hmm. and it is yeah. a kind of a, a real life kind of um, spectator event as well. But you know, the people who saw the stadium very be paid more money for that particular match, that particular experience, and are at a loss to know what's going on. And I don't think that's fair that, that we're at a disadvantage. And when things are taking upwards of two or three minutes to to resolve, it, it lends itself to this clear and obvious argument again it's not clear and it's not obvious if you're going to have to slow it down and look at it in so many so many different ways um so and i think another thing you got me on my high horse now um but another thing that frustrates me the slowing down of everything i mean the calvert lewin one last week you know if, you, if you're everton if you i don't when is that appeal being due to be heard sure. I, I, i'd assume it's gonna be this week yeah i think it'd have to be wouldn't it because i think their, their replay would be due soon as well um, I think if you if you look at that one, it's just it's just ridiculous. I don't think the referee's even given a foul. Um, in no, the I don't think so. So, what's VAR trying to do there? You, you're not telling me that it's Crystal Palace fans who, who were were leaving the stadium that night, and if that if Dominic Calvert Lewin hadn't been sent off, they'd have been fuming. Nobody would have known it. Nobody would have seen it. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, a contact sport that's played played by athletes at the top of the game at a million miles an hour, there is going to be an occasion where limbs collide. There, there is. Otherwise, you're going to have to make it a non-contact sport. You're going to have to make it walking football and and, and take tackling and, and completely out of the game. So it's that kind of slow, that slow-mo version of stuff mm. that you can find any fault if you slow things down enough. But it should be judged by me. The referees that are judging it in Stockley Park should judge it in... They can look at it from as many angles as they want, but it should be judged in the same kind of real-time speed that yeah. the referee sees it at. Um I mean, Long just, answer. I'll go on to the second part of the, the question now. Yeah, cool. I, I, it's a really interesting point about that Villa's high line and about whether we, we'd have to trust the linos with their naked eye to, to get that right every time. You'd almost probably have to get the linos to come and train train with Unai Emery and, and the Villa's back four at, at Bodymore Heath because we're so well drilled to do it. But even then, I'd scrap VAR, I'd scrap it today I'd, I'd, I'd get rid of it completely the thing that you might want to keep it in although it did it, 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 it failed once but 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 didn't fail us the the goal line the goal line technology mm. i think yeah that's that, fine those kind of black or white kind of was it in was it out offside probably does fall into that category as well mm. i mean I, I still think i don't want to turn this into a complete VAR podcast, but I still think the writing of the rules is a big thing as well. You know, the, are the rules clear enough in the first place? So I think I would potentially keep it in for offsides and I potentially keep it in for for goal line technology. But again, for offsides, I think we have all this thing about, you know, is his little fingernail offside? You know, that, that needs mm-hmm. to be different. Yeah, yeah. Should it just be judged on somebody's foot? Should it just be judged on this kind of daylight rule? I think it. I think it probably should, but th- that's the only reason I'd, I'd keep technology over and above what the referee's got 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 at his disposal. Yeah, the only other one I would maybe add it in for is like the mistaken identity for for sending offs and stuff like that. If there's a, a mass brawl and the referee's not quite sure who laid hands on who, the commentators see it on replays that it's it's being broadcast at some degree. Like you can quickly check it without even making a fuss of it and work out oh it wasn't him, it was actually him, and and for things like that. Just that that Calvert Lewin one very quickly. I know this is not an Everton or Crystal Palace podcast. VAR has been in in operation in the in England or the Premier League now for what three years or something like that, three or four three or four seasons off the top of my head. How many times have you seen a referee call to the monitor and disagree with what he's being told by the, the guys at Stockley Park? If the referee on the pitch has not even seen that as a foul, never mind a booking, a free kick or red card, when he's called to the monitor and they're going, oh, we're recommending that this is dangerous play or, or whatever the phrase is, why, why can't he go over there and go, no, lads, you, you, I, I still agree with what I thought at the time. It's not even a foul. Why, why are you recommending this as a red card? How Have you ever seen that in the three or four years, the referee disagreeing with what he's being told? Because as soon as they're called over, you think, well, he'll change his mind now, because I always do. Very, very occasionally you, you see them kind of stand stand their ground. But it's, um, I don't know, I, I think I've said this before, but I, I think some of them use it as a potential safety net now. So that yeah. they don't need to be... 100% sharp, they can be 95% sharp, knowing that if there is anything glaring, they've got a kind of rescue squad to help them. But I don't know, it needs doing differently. However however it's done, it needs doing differently. And I've heard people talk of, you know, each club having a couple of challenges, each each game, like, yeah, like tennis, tennis and, and, and do it like that. I wonder whether 
the referee should be given a kind of a couple of get out of jail cards where like for the ones that they're they're like oh you know I didn't quite uh, you know I'm not quite sure about that I'm going to go and double check I don't know whether that would weaken their authority but like you say if if their authority has already been weakened by them being bullied into changing their mind over ridiculous decisions then I'm not sure they start start with too much authority anyway Uh, Mm. but I'm fed up of it. I really, I really dislike it. And I think the biggest thing is the thing that we started the discussion with that I can't celebrate this. You know, all I can do is give a, a kind of gentle kind of fist pump and, and yeah. then two or three minutes later, just kind of a polite ripple of applause for a goal yeah. that I'd probably be kind of jumping up and down like, like a, like a maniac for three or four years ago. Yeah. It's a very frustrating process and I don't know whether they are, um, what's the word? Put it in the comments. <laughs> yeah, like they're, they're too proud to admit that the, the, yeah. the process is is wrong and they should change. I, I don't know whether they will because they're so kind of Howard Webb and defending it and like they're, they're too far the other way now. I think, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, let's move away from VAR because everybody is sick of it. Uh, a nice simple one from McGinn season. Who might this question be about? Uh, he just simply says thoughts on John McGinn. Just his magic, isn't he? I just I just love him. Um, Me too. I think the fact that. Uh, Emery's being able to unlock his potential and make him kick on at a time where many people, including me, I suppose, were, were doubting him at times. Times under Gerard, I think he's. Um, I think we've we've seen lots of players. Well, not, not several players, I'd say. You know, I'd include McGinn, include Mings, although we've been without him from from most of this season. Konza, Louise, um, probably missing Watkins, who have actually stepped up haven't they kind of continued on the journey um the higher we've got in the in the premier league they've they've really kind of gone with it and, and run with it and i think mcginn and again you probably clip clip together three or four times me talking about mcginn this season the, i was chatting to a couple of villa fans i was out with on on, on saturday night about it the, the thing that 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 i like most about him is the fact that he's got such vision and such a range of passing but mm. doesn't do it from a standing start necessarily. Does it? Does it when he's already in, in full flight? Um, I'm not not sure. I've seen many players, certainly for Aston Villa, with the the ability to do that, to have that all action style, but also to have that ability to see pictures when you're on the half turn and that kind of thing. Um, mm. So yeah, I think he's. And I think you know we've spoken before about him as a as a bloke, haven't we? And as a as a captain. Uh, just the little bits that, that Villa Villa clipped for their their socials. I think they got him in the ticket office answering the phone the other day, and he's just got this real real genuine warmth about him. Uh, mm. So yeah, I couldn't I couldn't love him any more than I do. Yeah, when we talk earlier in the show about FA Cup versus the Champions League, I can't think of many better captains to potentially be the one to to break that deadlock of Villa being trophyless for almost 30 years and to John McGinn standing on the Wembley steps with a, a trophy adorned in Claret and Blue or the Athens steps if that's a thing um, winning a nice trophy moment, wasn't, wasn't there with um, with Andy Townsend interviewing him I think for was it for yes, Amazon yeah. or, or for somebody the other day and I just thought that was a real the only clip to, I didn't see the whole thing but the only, the only clip no, about not. Might, 90 seconds of it, but just him giving a little bit of insight into his relationship with, with Emery and stuff like that. Just thought it was, he's, a, he's an intelligent, kind of real likeable guy, isn't he? Yeah. Who who do you reckon the player was that uh, asked to go to the toilet during a team meeting? I don't know. Somebody <laughs> somebody messaged saying on my Twitter saying they reckon it was Duran. Duran. Um, 
I don't know. Who do you, who do you reckon? <laughs> I'm probably going to say the same thing, to be fair. Only based off what we kind of hear on social media about him and there's questions about Durant, so let's do that now. Nigel says simply, if the Duran rumours are true, would you keep him at the club? And by rumours, I assume he means the links to AC Milan have, have come up over the last week or so. There's talk, and we spoke about this after Middlesbrough, a lot of people say things like attitude problem and a fallout with Unai Emery. John always says that that is not the case. You know, there was no falling out between the manager and the player. Um, but possibly, this isn't from John, this is my opinion, he's a young lad, moved to the country, possibly a bit of, I don't know, like, obviously I've not met him, I don't know him, but uh, a bit of immaturity maybe compared to some of the other members of the squad and how those two personalities don't click very well like that immaturity with how focused you have to be to be part of an Unai Emery side but John Duran's got what 30 odd appearances for Villa like he's coming off the bench a lot under Unai Emery so there's obviously something there because if you weren't like you said earlier if you're not cut out for an Unai Emery side you won't be anywhere near it so there's obviously something there for, for Emery to, to still be including him coming off the bench and obviously starting against Borough at the weekend what do you make of him as a as a character, as a person? This rumours with leaving in, in the window. What's your kind of overall position on it? I think the first thing is I, f- I find it mad that, you know, kind of AC Milan have been linked with one of our reserve, <laughs> reserve teams. <laughs> this, is, this is someone who, who grew up kind of watching football in Italia with James Richardson back when Serie A was kind of a, a massive powerhouse. I know, listen, I know it's it's not that. And I know that the that Premier League is, is, is the elite league in, in Europe now, but it just my head thinks it's weird. You know, you expect your reserves to be linked to some kind of, I don't know, mid-table Turkish side or something, don't you? Um, but in terms, of, in terms of the player himself, it's one of those ones where we, we, we couldn't entertain the idea of letting him go if we didn't have another striker. That was mm. that was lined up. I think in an ideal world, you'd probably want to keep him and get another another striker in, really, because for all the reasons that we said earlier about if Watkins get in, gets injured and we still are competing on several fronts as we get towards the end of the season, I think you need to kind of strengthen your squad rather than weaken it, which I know is stating the obvious. He's an interesting. He's an interesting lad, isn't he? Because I don't. He doesn't. To me, he doesn't. He doesn't seem like an Emery player. Because he does seem a little bit kind of hot-headed and, and, and petulant, and almost kind of Emery almost encourages players to have kind of ice in their veins, doesn't he? And to just be in control and to make sure that 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 they don't let their emotions get the better of better of them. But having said that, like you said, he he hasn't started many games. He hasn't really needed to because Ollie Watkins has been the main man, and, and Touchwood has has stayed fit and, and available for for the most part. He's come on and influenced games, hasn't he? You know, obviously, again, he's recency biased, but he, he's come on and um, won the penalty uh, against Burnley, which has ultimately mm. won us the game and, and, and kept our momentum going or, or, or reignited our momentum. I'm, I'm still... the, the Obviously, the, the Palace goal was was the one, wasn't it, where we, we he's gone prime Benteke and we thought, actually, blimey, you know, if we've got a player who could finish like that, have we, have we got a real talent on our hands? I think it's one of those where, am I right, he's been linked with a loan move rather than a, I think so. a permanent move away. You know, I think Villa have been really shrewd around trying to maximise whatever they can, you know, to stay the, the, the right side of FF, FFP. So if Villa think that there's a deal to be done there, I think that was, and again, this is all speculation, I think that must point to the fact that they're pretty confident that they're getting, they've got another centre-forward uh, yeah. on the radar who can come in because I think Bailey probably could play 
play centrally like that, and I think Diaby could probably play centrally like that. But I don't. I think that's an emergency situation rather than something that you actually want. So, um, yep. if he left, fine, but only if somebody somebody else came in. And I do think there's I do think there's enough of a raw talent there for us to persevere with anyway. If we decide that he, he's going to stay with us for for a few more years. Next question is from Steve, who says, how many points are we likely to get out of our next three league games? Of anyone who doesn't have the fixture list in front of them, that's Everton away, Newcastle at home, and Sheffield United away. Three games, how many points? Oh, goodness me. I don't want to, um, I don't want to jinx it. Let's go for seven. I'm being greedy. Seven. I'm thinking I'm thinking six. But let's go for seven. Let's, you know, we, 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 we're Aston Villa, aren't we? we? We're here to compete. So let's go for, let's go for seven. Oh, let's reckon? go for nine then. <laughs> um, I think anything less than six, I'd be disappointed with. I think if you win two and lose one, that's, that's not the end of the world. Uh, where those two wins come from, I'm, I don't know, I'm not going to pick specifics. Uh, obviously, you look at Newcastle as being the most difficult opponent there, probably out of the three, but that's the home game. Uh, as we know, Villa are pretty good at home. Uh, Everton away is certainly not easy given they've actually I mean, obviously got the 10 point deduction for Everton but they've been really quite good this season but certainly by no means an easy game although we do tend to play well against them and again you look at Sheffield United as somebody has been down there at the bottom and that should be easy but we know that it's not because they come to Villa Park and play that certain way that Villa struggle to break down as a points target for us kind of like chugging along for that for, for where we want to be anything less than six sounds disappointing Obviously, that's all dependent on how things go. If you're losing in one of those games and come back to, to nick a point like Sheffield United in the reverse fixture, all of a sudden you maybe say that's a, a decent point in the end. But I'll say six and be conservative with it. Maybe if you lose one of those league games, but you win the FA Cup game in this month and you win three games out of four, maybe you'd have that as a bit of a compromise. I think we're going to win every game, are they? <laughs> yeah, I think we can beat. I think we can beat Newcastle at Villa Park, and I think we can go there and, and beat Sheffield, Sheffield United. I think I'd, I'd probably say take a point, take a point at Goodison, and I think that'd be mm. that'd be a decent return. Next question is from Barry, and I, we don't know that have the answer for this, or I don't anyway. Who just simply says, "Is Buendia expected to be back before the end of the season?" Um, and we don't know. For certain, of course, obviously everybody's recovery is different, but he was injured in August. Generally speaking, a, an ACL injury is eight to nine months, roughly. So that should have him back by the end of the season. Um, but I, know, as I included it really, is not. I'm expecting you to have the answer. But did you see the clip of him training the other day with like a augmented reality headset thing on? I don't think I've watched it. Something in my mind says that I've... I've Seen it in my, it. <laughs> my feed somewhere. Yeah, well, what what was it? It was he was stood inside in in Bodymore Heath, I presume, in a just like a normal gym or whatever. And he got like a VR headset on, which you could see on a computer screen. Was like when he was moving, you could see the screen moving, and it was just like a I don't know, not as developed as like FIFA or something, but it looked like a football pitch and a, a goal yeah. post and whatever else. And he's like turning and like as if he's getting to cones or getting to one side or the other. When I, before I'd not seen it back, I wondered whether he had a, a ball and he was actually physically kicking things and what the benefit was from doing it inside with VR. I keep wanting to say VAR, uh, as opposed to actually going on the pitch and doing it with a real ball. Obviously, the benefits are that he's not physically going through that that um, that motion. He's not quite ready for that, you would presume, I guess. But have you ever seen, oh, I doubt you have either, but have you ever seen this kind of technology used in football clubs and why that maybe would be used at this stage of his recovery? I haven't, but I'm, I'm fascinated by it, I must admit. I, 
I can imagine only imagine the main reason is because he's, he's from South America and it's blooming freezing outside. So you might as well, uh, <laughs> might as well do it, do it in the gym. It's it's fascinating, really. We want to get Townley on it to investigate it to do to do a mm. story on it, really. Yeah. Um, but you know, why wouldn't you? You know, Premier League football clubs have 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 access to to you know so many of these these advantages. So. Yeah, I, I need, I need, I need to go away and do some homework on it, Dan. You've kind of blindsided me a little bit. I'm literally just messaging John now because he's just logged on. So I've sent him the link. I'll send you the link as well if you want to have a have a look at the video at some point. Um, yeah, so I just thought it was interesting to to see how things have developed over the last few years, and this might be commonplace across Premier League football clubs. But I've I've not seen it before at Villa anyway, um, and to kind of step up your progress steadily rather than just kind of going yeah go to that yellow dot on the floor and go to that cone there to kind of feel as if you're part of it somehow by being in this uh, uh vr world is yeah it must be must be an interesting um thing to go through as a footballer to go through those stages of it's not just oh, getting back on the grass is the target now it's getting back on the virtual grass is, is progress at least in, in some steps as well so yeah it'd be nice to see when do you put it out uh, I've seen it from AVFC Espanol on Twitter. I don't know that's an official club account. I don't think Villa tweeted it in the, the English account tweeted it anyway. It looks like it's from Instagram. Um, so it might have come from Wendy yeah. or one of his team uh, directly. It's been an interesting thing as well. If you've had like a kind of a severe weight bearing injury, like like an ACL. Listen, these people are a lot younger and more savvy than me, but to trust that as well, to trust that, You've got the VR headset on. It almost inhibits you a little, I think. Mm. But it, it clearly, it clearly must be must be effective. Yeah, I'd end up injuring myself probably tripping over a fake cone that isn't actually there. Uh, let's move on to something slightly different from Johnny, a hypothetical one, I, I presume. Uh, if a Saudi pro league offered twenty million, would you sell Luca Dean? Uh, that would allow us to technically spend a hundred million amortised over five years. I don't know how those uh, contract things work. Whether that's true, if you could spend a hundred million over five years, but there is something in offsetting the costs and stuff. That's far too uh, far too much for me to think about at eight am on a Monday morning. Would you take twenty million for Dean, given his age and his wages, etc.? I can't get my head around um, VR sets, so I ain't going to be able to get my head around amortisation <laughs> at the moment. With us competing on several fronts, what what's more important is it having the player who, you know, I'm a massive Alex Moreno fan, so I'd, I'd start Moreno most weeks ahead of ahead of Luca Dean. What cover have we got in that area? You know, Torres play there. Um, you know, Mings. I know he's still probably similar kind of situation to Wendy. Could he play there? I think he's just we, we, we're in danger leaving leaving ourselves light, and I think it's it could be potentially. A bit, bit of a balancing act. Yes, recoup money where you can. You know, we spoke about Iran. We spoke about you sp- speaking about Luca Dean now. You know, Villa have been pretty sharp at, at, at flogging off some of the some of the kids this season with with kind of buyback clauses and stuff like that. But if the if the 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 kind of flip side of that is you don't get to the Champions League because you leave yourself too light. You're risking that that Champions League money to help you towards yeah. your FFP goals anyway. So um same same answer for me as regards John Duran with, with Luca Dean. Yeah, if you if you, you get an enticing offer and you think it's worthwhile, go for it, but not at the expense of leaving the squad too light. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Like you're talking about like a, a depreciating asset, aren't you, in terms of a business thing that Luca Dean is probably never gonna be 
as high value is as he is now. We thought we might lose him in the summer for say fifteen million or, or whatever. He's performed really well this season and probably has held some of the, some of that value. But considering his age and his wages, will he be worth that same amount in twelve months? Definitely not. So if you have to cash in on that for FFP purposes, maybe that's more a business decision rather than a footballing one. But like you say, if keeping hold of Luca Dean, it's not as straightforward as this, but if keeping hold of Luca Dean gets you into the Champions League, as mad as that sounds, those figures will help you in the long run anyway. So it's a little bit of a gamble, I guess, but I would probably be inclined to keep him just because he's, he's played well this season and we will need him from now till the end of the season throughout the various competitions that we're in. But if an offer comes on the table for 20 million straight away from from somebody like Saudi Arabia, it would be a difficult one to to at least think about, I think. Uh, this is next question is ridiculous, by the way, from James. I've had to include it because I, I just want to see what you say. It's so, so difficult. Uh, he says, if we fail to qualify for the Champions League and the, restraints of, and the restraints of financial fair play meant we had to sell one asset this summer, Martinez, Louise or Pau Torres, <laughs> who do you sacrifice? <laughs> what what I know it's hypothetical, but what what possible scenario would it have to be one of those? Can't we get rid of somebody crap? Um, <laughs> oh, I don't know. You you go first, don't I? Oh, I knew you'd do that to me. Uh, I, I think that's so difficult. I mean, I'm probably uh, as I'm probably less emotionally attached to Pau Torres because he's been here the least, but he's I think he's so important to us and and where we want to be over the next few years. I love Emmy Martinez for obvious reasons. He's one of, if not the, technically best goalkeeper in the world. Um, you know, Douglas Suiz super, super important to us as well. You what talking seventy or eighty million for Emmy, you'd want hundred million for Louise. And I don't know how much you could ask for for Pau Torres, maybe sixty or seventy, possibly. Um, so difficult. I would like you say, can we not can we not recoup this cash by Bertrand Troy ten million, Luca Dean fifteen million? Uh I don't know. I'd I'd ideally obviously like to not get rid of any. if the, if there was any of those ones that wanted out that would obviously change it for me. Like if Luke, if Louise was like, nah, I don't want to be here anymore, then then I'd pick him. Uh, but as it stands, like, it's so difficult to pick any of those. Yeah, I mean, if you have to have to an answer, he probably probably will be Pau Torres for me just because of the emo- emotional investment. I think I think Mar- Martinez, I think I just love the, the, the fact we've got a really, really top-level level player who with such a, a, a winning mentality who who other teams hate. It just amuses me massively. Um, I think Douglas Louise is just, I don't know, I just think he, he's kind of Rolls-Royced his way into being a real real fan, fan's favourite. Um, yeah. And we've seen, we've seen how, how pivotal he is. And I think, I'm not saying Pau Torres is replaceable. I just think we have got strong options. In that in that part of the pitch, when Mings comes back, when you know Diego Carlos and and Esri Conza, um, you know I, I don't think Longley will be 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 here that 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 much longer. It's a horrible question that is. It's it's like <laughs> saying kind of what what's your who's your favourite favourite child, isn't it? You know what I mean? When you when you're a dad, it's that kind of thing. Um, and when you've got more than one, yeah. And I'd probably I'd probably be able to answer that one easier, but uh, um, yeah. Who was that who asked that? Um, that was from James. All right, James, that's something. Don't ask such horrible questions. That's something nicer next time, please. Yeah. Here's a nice one. It also comes with a list of players. This one's specifically for you uh, from Ricardo. It says, which player from McGrath, Platt, Cowens or Shaw would improve the current team the most? 
not necessarily the best player of those four who would slot in to make this team better. Well, if I've just flogged Pau Torres, then it'd probably have to be McGrath. <laughs> but um, I think um, I think I'd have I'd have Gary Shaw in there, and that's 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 me speaking blind a little bit because Gary Shaw of that four Shaw's the one I've not seen play play for Villa. I'm not quite old enough to have um, to have seen him seen him play for Villa. Um, but again, it's those it's that the lack of forward options, to be honest, mm. or centre forward options. So I'd have I'd have Shaw in there. How about you? I mean, you don't know, do you, to you, you oh, young man? Yeah, I've not seen any of those play with my actual real life eyes. Obviously, McGrath is one of the best ever. Platt and Cow- Cowan's Cowan's maybe in the middle. Louise Cowan's and and Kamara as a three. Is is Gary Shaw playing? <laughs> Watkins never never stops, does he? Can you, are you playing two up front? Are they playing together? I think he, I think I'd probably rotate them. To be honest, <laughs> not every week. Yeah, you probably have, you probably would have to start with Shaw, wouldn't you? And what's Watkins Watkins thinking on the bench? Watkins on the bench. Yeah, I don't, I don't want I don't want Watkins to put in a transfer request now because I've upset him. These hypotheticals are really really troubling me at the moment. They give me a headache. So maybe the answer to the last question of who to sell is you bring Gary Shaw in in his prime to replace Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins is on the bench, upset anyway, and then you go to Arsenal. You need a striker desperately. 80 million for Watkins, and then best of both worlds then. Solve both questions. Yeah, I mean, we might as well just bring in all, bring in all of the European Cup winning, winning team from, from 1982 and just, I don't know, let the opposition wear VR headsets. That's probably the, uh, the, the best way of doing it. We've only got a couple of questions left. Um, yeah, literally a couple. Uh, this one's from Matt. I'm not being moany at all. The season so far has been amazing, especially at home. But how many away games this season have you felt? Yep, good, solid performance. The system worked really well, etc. Uh, Burnley, AZ Altmar, and maybe Chelsea. What do we need to improve away from home? And we speak about the away form a lot. I think earlier in the season, when you'd had uh, Liverpool and Newcastle in the European game in the, in the first few weeks of the season, I think the away form did feel like a concern at the very start. And it's been a, a tag that's followed Villa a little bit that they're not a good, uh, they're not as good on the road as they are at home, and that's yeah bloody obvious because we're almost perfect at home. It's not going to be as good as that. But the away form isn't that bad anymore. I think we were sixth in the away form table at one stage. I don't know where we are now. How do you feel about Villa away from home compared to at home? Just checked actually. I've just checked the the away form table, and we're um we're seventh now, um, okay. apparently, and we're top of yeah. the home form table. So you'd probably, I mean, that averages out pretty well, doesn't it? Top of one and seventh. Well, yeah, yeah. You could you could continue that that rate, and it'd get you in the top four. But probably wouldn't win you the title, which is not a bad, not a bad consolation <laughs> consolation prize, is it? Really, I think the the key to me. With with Villa's away form is, I think we have I've not got the, the the recent results in front of me, but I, my sense is that we're shipping too many goals, you know. And I, I think the, the the essence of being a good away side is that you you can you can get the the, the one nils and you you can pick up pick up points points that way. Um, I've gone completely blank now. I'm just trying to look at Villa's recent away form. I've got the fixture in front of me. It's probably not as bad as you maybe feel it is. There's three at Man United, one at Brentford, two at Bournemouth, uh, two at Nottingham Forest, only one at Spurs. Obviously, we beat Spurs away. You could include that as as a as a good result for the season, of course. Conceded one at Wolves, 
uh, three at Liverpool, obviously, and five at Newcastle on the opening day. So, like I said, it gets worse the further back you go in time. I don't think it's as bad as Chelsea. I do find that. I find we've become a little bit vulnerable. Um, Mm. So, I think that, that to me, would be the the key to unlocking the away away form or the away results. But having said that, I don't think seventh. Seventh would probably be about par for how we expected to finish. You know, we probably expected to finish the season in sixth or, or seventh this season. So we're not that far far off it in our away form. You know, we, we're miles above it in a in our home form. But you'd be surprised. You know, even the teams around us are not going to be playing kind of free free flowing football and, mm. and you know kind of demolishing teams away from home that often. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm in that. I'm in a position where I kind of, if, I don't, I don't want to be too too critical of anything because we we by far surpassing our, our expectations, and I don't want to jinx it by by getting greedy. Really, mm, I think both of those league tables will even out a little bit over the course of the, the entire season. Either if we finish top of the home form table at the end of the season, I'd be surprised. I think you're talking about probably not losing at home all season. I don't think that will happen, although it's it's, it's possible, of course. And I think your wave form will in, increase slightly as well as time goes by. I think you're probably looking at fifth maybe as, as one of the fifth best teams away from home and probably the, the third or fourth best team at home and if you level those out that's probably going to get you the top four in the actual table when you combine the two so I don't expect us to be unbelievable at home for all, all year and I expect us to improve away as well so the two should level themselves a little bit the final question of the episode comes from 11A111QF uh, which strikes me as a Twitter account that's created with no thought at all to just throw away, uh, who says, this is such a, a bum note to end on. I should have ordered these differently. What would be considered a failure this season? If we're doing our end of season review in, in May or June and I say, what happened this season? Why, what went wrong? What would have to have happened for you to say it was a failure? Well, it's going to be anything less than the Premier League, FA Cup and uh, <laughs> Conference League treble, isn't it? I don't know. We, we probably need... Failure is is a harsh word, by the way. I think it would have to go drastically wrong for me to say failure, given where we are in January. Maybe disappointing is maybe a better way of phrasing it. I think finishing outside the top four now would be would be disappointing. Um, And if we did finish out the top four, failing to win a trophy, I Mm. think you know that that conference league with the right kind of momentum, I think we, we, we should have a, have a decent crack at that. The FA Cup, I know I bang on about it like every year, all the time. And it, it, it is a special trophy and probably grows more in, in, you know, the kind of status and reputation of it by not winning it in the eyes of, of, of Villa fans of a certain vintage. But I think those are probably the, the two, the conference league and nailing down the, the, the top four spot, are probably our most obvious, Roots to glory. So, but I think, yeah, despite what I was back saying earlier on about wanting FA Cup over Champions League this season, I think it would be the position we've put ourselves in. And I think if we if we don't if we don't nail that down, I think that probably would be the uh, the biggest disappointment this year. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. Me and John said the same. To to be in the position we're in now, to not finish in the Champions League, I don't know if I'd go to, as far as to say it was a failure, but I'd certainly be disappointed to only be in the Europa League next season. It was second in January, like to finish sixth, for example, is such a drop-off that I, I don't see happening anyway. But I could only level the word disappointment at that if that happened. Just on the FA Cup very quickly, because I know, I know you need to go in a sec, was a, a final point for me. This is something me and my dad talk about every so often. The FA Cup badges that were, were, were worn on the shirts this year all had a little number on them, which was the amount of times you'd won the trophy. But I had a little seven on theirs. Uh, I assume that's what it was for without confirming the other clubs. I saw Arsenal's kit last night had a 14 on theirs, and they're obviously the record holder. It's mad, isn't it, that Villa haven't got more uh, cup wins in that competition, given how long ago the last one was, that Villa obviously were the record holder for some time until Arsenal won five in ten years or, or whatever it feels like over the last the last 15 years or so. If Villa had only won one FA Cup every decade or so since 1957, we'd still be well up there as as one of the, the top... I know, we still are anyway, but you know, Villa should be on 12-13 anyway, even if we had barren spells of winning one once every ten years, given how long ago it was. So, such a frustration to me. Obviously, it's well before either of us were born. That Villa have only won that trophy haven't won that trophy for, for 60 odd years you know we should have double figures by now given the sides we've had in that time as well title winning sides European Cup winning sides League Cup winning sides in the 90s getting to finals in, in the 2000s the fact that we've not notched up double figures in that trophy is, is, is mad to me yeah and you know for a large section of my youth and adolescence Villa were, were right up there you know probably even mm-hmm. joint record winners on seven for for a while and I think this is this is one of the key things to trying to get a manager who can build Villa, not just in a short-term way, but to try and be long-lasting and try and can com- compete. Because, you know, if you speak to Arsenal fans or you see Arsenal fans in the last 10 or 15 years, and certainly certainly kind of post, post-Venga, you know, almost in the, the depths of despair that, that, that they've not been winning the Premier League. But... Similar to the way that we've been able to get to Wembley so many times still in the last kind of 10 years, despite Aston Villa being going through a difficult time, Arsenal still been able to pick up FA Cups, even though they're mm. supposedly in a difficult space. And I think if you can establish yourself amongst that elite and, you know, some seasons the safety net is winning an FA Cup, that to me is not a bad place to be. I'm sure you become yeah. a bit blasé with, with that and a bit entitled with that along the way. Um but yeah, it's it it is it is mad. I mean, like you say, the the, the stat that so many decades, even if we just won two, or we're just one in the last <laughs> kind of sixty odd years, we've set our set our, our standards and our expectations so high to achieve one of those things, to win a trophy or to be to, to finish in the in the the top four. I think would be it's kind of it would have. It, just an endorsement of, of what Emery's done. We can see it with our own eyes, but just to have some kind of tangible proof uh, will be a lovely fitting fitting way to, to, to wrap up the season. Yeah, definitely. And I'll let you, Matt, wrap up the podcast. You can do the outro for us. I've handed over to the guest over the last few episodes to stop me waffling on. So if you can uh, uh, see us out, that'd be lovely. I will do. Um, I'm Matt Kendrick. This is Dan Rollinson. As you know, you've been watching the Claret Blue <laughs> podcast we appreciate all your input and all your questions, except for ones that ask us to decide whether we should lose Louise, Torres or Martinez. We don't want any of that because it makes us think too hard. But other than that, see you next time. Up the villa. <laughs>